Hello, everyone. It's me, Chelsea Fagan, your host, founder and CEO of The Financial Diet and person who loves to talk about money. And today I'm talking with someone who is a little bit unusual for the typical guests we have, or at least the reason bringing him here today is a little bit unusual. But I think that you guys will quickly see why this particular project of his we're discussing is so heavily tied in with a lot of the broader themes that we talk about at TFD. As the title would suggest, a lot of people, and especially a lot of women who are moving through their young adulthood, their 20s, their 30s, they're often dealing with other people's life celebrations, as well as the expectations of their own. We've done a few episodes in the past about the wedding industrial complex and the social pressures that it can put on us, but it's not just weddings that often leave people spending beyond their means or even going into debt with the average cost of being in a bridal party in the US, for example, now hovering around $1,000, and that's not including a lot of the extras that are increasingly tacked into these life celebrations. It's the bachelorette trips, it's the baby showers, it's the gender reveals, it's the birthdays. It's the increasingly expensive task of celebrating yourself and celebrating others. If you feel like things like weddings have completely spiraled out of control in terms of cost, that is not in your imagination. Weddings cost now in the US far more than they did a few decades ago adjusting for inflation. And a lot of that is driven by social media, right? It used to be that all of these life celebrations were things that were just happening between ourselves and our loved ones, and maybe we'd get a few pictures to go in the album to show our grandkids one day. But now we're living out all of these social expectations in full view of the public, of basically everyone we've ever known, and probably some people we don't. And it's also the people attending. I'm sure we've all been to weddings or had weddings which had their own hashtags for sharing and collecting photos. And when we've talked before about the wedding industrial complex, TFD historians might remember that I was sort of like mini canceled slash dragged by a wedding planner about my video on the spiraling costs of the wedding industrial complex. And we later did a video together to sort of have a a meeting of the minds and and come to some uh, accord. When we talk about these things, we often hear from people that aside from being a burden on all of our finances, it can especially be a burden on people who are not necessarily in a financial place to keep up with their social group. I'm not going to engage in a lot of spoilers here, but my guest today is a writer, editor, and now author based in England who has written a debut novel all about this particularly interesting intersection of phenomena. We have the class differences. We have the wedding industrial complex. We also have a rom-com because, of course, who doesn't love that? I personally loved the book, but I also found myself really, really fascinated by the socioeconomic and class issues that it unpacked. And when he and I met up recently in New York City, we had a really fascinating conversation about all this stuff in our own lives and in our own experiences. And it made me want to talk to him for the show, not just on the occasion of his novel being released in the US, and he'll tell you more about it, but also because this is such a relevant topic to what we discuss here at TFD. And honestly, we have a lot of sort of really heavy, serious financial topics coming along the season, so it's also sometimes fun to just sit around and about expensive weddings. With all of that said, my guest today is editor at Men's Health and debut novelist Philip Ellis. Hello Chelsea, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for being here. So um, I didn't even spoil the title, can you tell people what your book is and when it's coming out and all that good stuff? Uh, Yes, so uh, it is called Love and Other Scams, and uh, it is coming out in the US with uh, Putnam at Penguin Random House on March 7th. I love it. Um, And can you talk a little bit about sort of, um, obviously the plot of the book in broad strokes, but sort of what wrote, what pushed you to write about that phenomenon specifically? Uh, Sure, yes. So um, when we meet Kat, who is the protagonist of the book, um, at the very beginning, she has uh, been kind of a little bit of a stereotypical always the bridesmaid. Um, She has been through this slew of very expensive destination weddings, but also, you know, bachelorette weekends, um, baby showers, etc. sort of throughout her late 20s. And that came from a very real place of um, I'm in my 30s now, and so I've, I've lived that um, sort of period where all of your friends who are of a similar age to you um, seem to be just sort of that bit further ahead, both um, in their personal lives, but also professionally and financially. So I was always marveling at a, how expensive weddings are for the people throwing them, but also um, for the guests. And I, that's not a read because I absolutely love a wedding. I love every wedding I've ever been to. And I just really want to clarify that right now. Um, but when you're single 
and when you're a freelancer, which I was for a very, very long time, um, it's just sort of even more, it feels like there's more of a financial barrier, um, you know, sort of the travel involved, uh, getting a hotel room by yourself, um, you know, going in on a gift and things like that. Um, and so it did get to the point where it felt like when I was going to, you know, three or four or five weddings each summer, many years in a row, it was like, oh, there is a real tax on being um, friends with somebody, basically. And so that's sort of where we uh, meet Kat in chapter one. March 7th, 2023, baby. You know, I totally agree with that. I mean, I, it's interesting because I, in the era of my life where I was going to other people's celebrations, I was, I don't think, I, I had gone to a few weddings single, but I've been with my husband for almost 12 years now. So I've mostly only been attending these things as a coupled person, which in and of itself is a lot of financial privilege, right? There was a sense of like, there's almost like a level of reciprocity um, in, you know, like we're doing it for you, but you're going to do it for us. Um, and looking back, I don't necessarily know that I would have changed anything about what we did, but it also, I think, infects your own perception more than you realize at the time that like you almost feel like you need to get your money back in some way by by sort of perpetuating this, um, you know, this, what, what am I looking for? This passing the cost on essentially. And we did try not to do that in a lot of ways, but I also feel like it's understandable how when people spend 10 years of their life paying for other people's celebrations, you don't want to be the person to opt out. Right. Um, I, 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 and I think the way that, as, uh, as you mentioned at the very, very beginning, you know, the way that weddings have just become bigger and flashier and more expensive and more drawn out with with more celebrations and, and more bells on um I think it's just sort of there is an assumption that okay well I went to yours so you're going to come to mine and it's it's the way that the expense almost becomes um like a, a stand-in for the depth of the friendship like if you were really my friend and you wanted to come and be in my bridal party or come to my wedding and my celebration then you should be willing to spend that amount of money and obviously that always goes unsaid but it does sometimes feel like that's very much the implication what kind of drew you I mean you know I it's I'm sure very difficult when you write fiction to not want people to overly project on the writing that you do that it's like literally one for one about your life. I'm sure you probably talked to some people and was like, this isn't about you or whatever it might be, or it's not directly about me. But I'm interested because there is so much of the book that kind of centers around these sort of class disparities and the ignorance of those class disparities. What were kind of the experiences that led you to want to write about those topics specifically as they pertain to these kind of social norms and celebrations? Um, I think it's just something that I'd noticed without maybe even consciously realizing in my 20s because I took um, a sort of less traditional career path. I went freelance when I was 25. So I basically was starting from scratch. Um, and, I, you know, there was 10 years where I didn't have a salary. I didn't have paid leave uh, to come to these events. So a lot of the time, if I was going to, you know, a stag weekend, that would mean I was actually like losing money. Um, and so I, at the time, I don't do this anymore, but at the time I was always sort of measuring where I was both professionally and financially against sort of people of a similar age to me. And it was only kind of quite later on that I realized, well, yes, their, their career paths are more sort of, it's, it's a very clear upward trajectory in, in some of the industries that my friends were working in, but also I'd never been fully conscious of the fact that they just came from a, a greater degree of family wealth than I did. And, and because I didn't, I assumed that everyone was sort of starting with the same hand in life, basically. And, and then the more you sort of, you know, become conscious of, um, of money, the more you realize that's not always the case. Uh, no kidding. I feel like there, for a lot of people, I feel like I went through this. Um, were you, you were in London at the time, right? And earlier in your adult life? Uh, no, so I was in um, Birmingham, uh, which is a smaller city, um, but I, I, I was down in sort of working down in London a lot. And so there was a lot okay. of um, 
a very I felt like a country mouse surrounded by some of these people in that regard. Right. Okay. I couldn't remember if you lived there or you just worked there a lot. But either way, so you were so you were spending a lot of time in London, suffice to say. Yeah. Um, which I think is very similar to New York in that sort of social class sense. And I think a lot of people in their twenties and and into their early thirties kind of go through this awakening little by little of you sort of enter into your young adult professional life thinking that everyone is similar to you in a lot of ways. And then you sort of only bit by bit start to realize that, oh no, like we're not at all living in the same way. Like you have friends who maybe their parents are paying their rent or seriously helping them with it or sending them a check every month. Um, I remember when I worked at my first media job and I was making $36,000 a year, which is very, very little in New York City. Um, and I already had the privilege of being in a dual income household, but I remember I worked with another, with a, with a colleague whose parents were paying for her to live in a luxury apartment that probably cost, you know, upwards of $6,000, $7,000 a month. Um, and she was 24 maybe at the time. Um, and I think it's not until people kind of really accept that a lot of these social groups are made up in adulthood of extremely disparate wealth um, that they can even try to have a healthy relationship with their own finances because as long as you're sort of laboring under the misconception that everyone else is dealing with the same cards as you, you're basically always going to feel inadequate. It's exactly that, yeah. And I, there were so many times when I just kept thinking, well, what am I doing wrong? Because people who are the same age as me, who have the same, you know, kind of um, university degrees, just seem to be so much further ahead. And then it's, I had a, a real moment, um, very similar to you, where I realized that one of my friends who worked in media, his iPhone and his BMW were not paid for by him. And I don't think much of his rent was either. Um, and I was like, well, I, like, if that's the case, and obviously working in media, I think a lot of the time you have to come from wealth because a lot of those jobs don't pay a great amount until you're really, really, you know, further along in your career. Um, so there's a barrier to entry for a lot of people in that regard as well. And it's just, yeah, it's it's wild to um, to kind of have that realization. It's like it's like you have been living in the matrix all along and then you realize like there's a there's a reality here that I just had not been aware of. I'm someone who has put themselves in credit card debt, not a ton, but I have been in credit card debt specifically for um, once was a wedding and once was like a girl's trip, basically, which is like another kind of, I think also very heavily social media fueled in increasingly phenomenon. Like not that there weren't girl trips before Instagram and TikTok and all that stuff, but I think they've definitely spiraled quite a bit since those things have happened. Um, and there, I think a lot of it was really driven by a feeling, you know, that it that it wouldn't be acceptable for me to say no to certain things or that it would put the friendship in jeopardy or that it would change the way people look at me. And I'm interested if those are ever experiences you had and kind of how you navigated them then and how you navigate them now. Um, yes. So. I would say in my 20s, um, there was a good amount of working class shame where um, the last thing you would ever say to anybody is that you couldn't afford to get a round of drinks in or that you couldn't afford to come either on a night out or a weekend away. Um, and, you know, I would I would go along with these because also then you feel like, well, if I don't go to this one, I'm not going to be invited again. And then that's how friendships start to drift apart. Um, because when you're in your 20s, you know, that's sort of such a desperate FOMO all the time. Um, and so I would sort of basically, yeah, live a little bit outside my means just because I really didn't want to feel excluded. Um, what's been really nice uh, more recently, um, I mean, my financial situation uh, very fortunately is different now, but also the last couple of um, weddings and like stags that I've been to and hens, um, it's been with friends who I have a much closer and I think more mature relationship with than I did maybe in my 20s but also um it's been like the 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 the, the group like the group chat has been con consisted of people at different areas at different at, um different stages in their life and career so there are younger people there are older people people who are you know sort of students people who are uh, you know working different kinds of jobs and so we've been able to have much more open conversations about okay well if we're going away for the weekend 
what is a budget that everybody would feel comfortable with and we will work within basically making it as accessible to everybody so that nobody feels left out and nobody feels they have to you know take out a loan in order to be included um and I was at a wedding just a couple of weeks ago where that was the case um and it's it really does make a huge difference you know I so I, I'm trying to like ride the line of spoiling anything but so it's fair to say it's not like a spoiler to say that the protagonist in your book is a is a criminal like that yeah. you know she she does crimes um and specifically like she uh robs like she's a thief um who steals from very wealthy it's very like Robin Hood steals from wealthy people at these um at these weddings I do think that we're in a cultural moment where we talk about a lot of forms of privilege in a way that we didn't even 10 years ago but I don't think that we've gotten very far in terms of talking about class privilege or economic privilege there doesn't seem to be nearly as much of a um you know acknowledgement of that or a push for it and one of the ways in which I think that really manifests really starkly is you know obviously you know, your book is fundamentally a rom-com, but it deals really heavily with socioeconomic and class issues, which to me really stands out because when you think about pop culture, we actually did a mini series with uh, another YouTuber, Lindsay Ellis, uh, two years ago um, about the role of class and wealth in pop culture. And a lot of it was about how these issues are very, very rarely represented in pop culture and in media. Um, and kind of beyond that, like when it comes to representing um, low and in, lower income folks and poverty and things like that, that it's often really bad. Like people, like when you watch a sitcom, when you watch a rom-com or a movie or whatever, it's very, very rare that you see a very accurate portrayal of being working class um, or, you know, what the real struggles of, um, of poverty are like, or even just not being as high income as the people um, that you're around. And I think a lot of it is because most people working in media are wealthy. Like they grew up in some level of privilege. They have some level of class privilege because in a lot of these jobs, you have to have some level of institutional wealth um, in order to afford it um, because the pay is often so terrible and there's a lot of unpaid internships. So it sort of becomes a self-perpetuating representational cycle where the people who are deciding what gets represented are from upper classes. So that tends to be most of what we see. Um, as someone who's worked in media for almost your whole career um, and who doesn't come from a super privileged background, can you talk a little bit about the experience of trying to integrate class and class analysis into uh, media work, especially around peers who maybe don't um, don't share the perspective? Um, yeah, so while you were speaking just now, like I, I was thinking, I think the reason that exactly as you've just said, class is one of the areas that's sort of less explored is because, you know, all of the big op-eds and think pieces that are being written at, you know, sort of the major magazines and newspapers are being written by very privileged um, journalists. And um, I, su I suppose I, when it comes to the way I, um, I write about it. I mean, I'm really lucky because um, the people I've worked with on my sort of on my team at my publisher, um, it's a real mix of people. Uh, I mean, publishing is a famously very posh uh, sort of sector, um, and and so I, I, you know, as I said, that's, that's kind of the reason why a lot of the people who are working at a posh is because those you know sort of um, initial jobs don't pay a huge amounts, so you kind of have to have that leg up already. Um, but also, um, so. Uh, in the UK, my publisher is Harper North, and their whole ethos is um, finding voices from outside of the kind of like that elite London bubble, basically. Um, and so it's been really nice to work with people who are, you know, similar to me in that they don't come from like very sort of um, well-to-do backgrounds. Um, in my freelance career, um, I basically would just fake it because um, there was a, a couple of years where I was freelancing for an advertising agency uh, and there was just so much money in advertising and I'm not really sure where any of it goes um, except on like really nice parties um, and so every couple of, for every year uh, for a couple of years I'd go to work in Cannes um, for a few weeks and the sort of I always felt like the poor cousin 
Um, and then each year, the more I went, I, I, and at first I was very impressed by it. I was very seduced by it because it's so glamorous. There's boats, there's all this like lovely food and wine. And, um, and each year, the more I went, I would just get more and more disillusioned with it because there are, you know, Kim Kardashian is giving a talk on, you know, image and creativity in the Palais. And then there are people banging on the street outside. Um, yeah. And it just sort of absolutely lost its shine. Um, and so I think, yeah. Uh, and I mean, I would say also, I think every industry since the pandemic has kind of very much pulled back on the uh, spending money for its own sake thing, um, to be fair to them. Yeah. Oh, trust me. Like I, especially in the earlier days of TFD, we like came of age during the peak, peak girl boss era. And like some, oh my God, some of these events that we went to, okay, I'm going to be really, I'm going to obscure a lot of details here because I really don't want to get in trouble. Um, But so I didn't, okay. I, how can I say this? Uh, so there was an event recently that shall not be named and no identifying details shall be shared, but we were all talking about it in like the TFD chat, like, cause we were pretty sure that this particular version of sort of like hyper consumerist, glossy, uh, feminism as liberation, um, had sort of gone by the wayside now. Like most of the girl boss figureheads have been like, have gone bankrupt or like getting gotten embroiled in scandals or like had lawsuits. So like some of them are going to prison. Like, so we were like, okay, this is probably over. And also post pandemic, like this is just not the mood anymore. It's not like we're going to like, you know, break barriers in our stilettos. That's just not the vibe. And there was like this recent event where it was like 1000% that, like it was like luxury skin cream and like these, like, it was like VPs from like different, you know, fortune 50 companies or whatever. And the whole conversation was about just like, you know, um, women having it all and stuff like that. Of course, none of these women are disclosing that they're, they probably have like an army of domestic workers in their Upper East Side apartments that like make this all possible. Um, But that particular kind of, dynamic I think is so much more common in media and in marketing that than people will believe and it's less prevalent now than it was five years ago but I will say that like it is shocking how much that really glossy superficial version of inclusivity is still very much the norm uh yes so there was uh, I don't know if it this made it over to the US but there was uh, an influencer in the UK whose name I can't remember which is probably for the best um but she had dealt with a, a, a huge backlash um, about a week ago because um obviously we're dealing with a huge cost of living crisis in the UK and she uh, did a front-facing uh, sort of get ready with me video, but she was like, the heating in my house is broken, so I'm going to go and check into the Savoy for a lovely warm bath. And the comments were just like a war zone because everyone oh was just like, read the room. Oh my God, this is so tone deaf. And on the one hand, it absolutely is. But on the other hand, she's like a luxury influencer and she was off to do like a branded thing of like a tour of the Savoy. And like, that's her way of making money. And it's like, it's a very cushy, nice job if you can get it. Um, And it was just sort of like, oh, maybe don't frame it in that way. Because she was framing it as in like, oh, we're all in it together. We're all struggling to heat our homes this winter. Um, But she obviously isn't. (laughs) Oh my God. Literally that woman's publicist, like pour one out for her because I'm sure she had a very, very rough week uh, when that happened. Um, For hetero women like there is still I mean we've changed it somewhat but not that much that getting married and having children are like the two defining successes of your life and are sort of inherently perceived as successes even though they're not always necessarily um you can marry the wrong person you know the like marriages can end they can be not good um but those are sort of still the only things that for women we really validate at that level. Um, and I wouldn't say that it's totally untrue for men. I think that definitely it's still the largest celebration for men, but I I just don't think that women's other choices get validated in the same way or get celebrated in the same way. And I do think it's very insidious how much it is still considered totally carte blanche to invest to that extent or possibly go into debt to that extent um, for these moments because the underlying message is still like this is the one time in your life that you're really worth it. So um, I absolutely agree that it's very much more that the case for women um, because the number of weddings I've been to where the groom's job is just to show up is depressing. 
Um, I, I was so there's a, a, a podcast um, that I used to listen to a lot called The Guilty Feminist, um, hosted by Deborah Francis White, and she has this really interesting theory that um, weddings are the last bastion of a certain old school of feminism because basically it's the one time in a life when a woman gets to have her own way and dictate everything that happens and be completely 100% in charge because it's her day. Um, and I think that that attitude is probably still very much, um, you know, a thing when it comes to, like, I, I know very few straight men who talk about, you know, their special day and how everything has to be perfect. It really is, everything seems to be geared around the bride. Um, and that's probably, yeah, it's, it's from this sort of ridiculous thing where it's like, yeah, you have one special day and then you get to, you know, go into your house and never leave. <laughs> I, that dynamic, there's nothing that, truly pisses me off more than when um, and this is like a very common thing to hear in um weddings between men and women where the man will say something to the effect of like she really put her heart and soul into this like she really did such a good job with this like as if she's just like someone he's hired to like put together the day and he's like now what she did I couldn't tell you I wasn't super close to it like I she had you know she did this all she made her magic happen or whatever um and I understand that like in life, there are certain things for people that are just like, there are certain things that I value more than my husband and vice versa. And like that I will care and put more attention to. But I do think it's like, we're, I think a bit naive to the extent to which the the social media visibility of things has created a hugely homogenizing effect on these celebrations. And that a lot of the things that we feel that we need now, you know, the photo booth, the like super elaborate table settings, the insane floral arrangements, the, you know, professional photographer for the bachelorette party and the bridal shower and the wedding, like all of these things that we now sort of, or a lot of people will deem necessary, um, or that we think we sort of independently reach these conclusions. Like a lot of this didn't exist 20 years ago. And it's, um, and this is going to sound a bit bitchy, but it is really funny, uh, the number of weddings where, um, you know, if, you, if you've got a friend who's organizing their, their wedding um, and they're like, oh, we're just going to make it so us, it's going to be really unique. It's going to be all about the things that we love. And then you go and it's like, I've been to this wedding before. This oh. is literally like out of a, out of a, you, you could get an AI bot to generate a wedding that would look like this. Okay, I gotta be real discreet here, but I've been to a couple weddings in a certain region of the United States where I couldn't tell you whose was whose because they're like, it's like when I tell you like a wedding, a wedding industrial complex undersells it. I was at a wedding one time where so there's like a is it a common thing in England at weddings to have like wedding like MCs? So I went to one uh a year or two ago that had one and it was the first one I'd been to and I felt like I was at a child's birthday party. <laughs> it has okay first of all it has such big child it has like Chuck E. Cheese energy. <laughs> this is horrible I'm so bitchy but I have to say this so I have been to the, I would say the majority of weddings that I've been to have had MCs. It's just like, what about you, Emily? You've been to some, yeah. They have MCs. It's just some guy in a suit who like runs around and is like, hey, 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 like give it up for the, oh my God, I can't do it. Um, anyway, point being, I was at a wedding several, uh, several years ago oh, no. um, where basically the bride and groom were walking out and this MC was like, and welcome. And he said the wrong names because at this venue, they do so many weddings. It's like a, it's, I mean, it's a beautiful place, but it's a massive venue with like, they, I think they host like six weddings a day there because they have different areas for some of the weddings. And then they have like staggered ones. There's like a morning and an evening one for each section. But like point being, I'm sure this man was on his like fourth wedding of the day and just got the names mixed up. But I was like, you cannot tell me that this feels authentic to the couple. That is hilarious. And and yeah, it's like, I it's always really um, like, so when you, if you stay, happen to stay at the venue um, of a wedding and then it's like the next morning when you're at breakfast in one room and then like they're already turning over and redressing the room for the next wedding they're having that day. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, that's like, it felt so bespoke and unique, but also they are literally just gonna churn out the same place settings and the same everything in you know a couple of hours um and it's it's like getting a little bit of a grim peek behind the curtain that oh yeah like for, for most people 
in that room that it was like a really special occasion it was lovely there was drinking there was dancing we're here to celebrate a couple we know and then the poor people who are like doing the waiting service or working behind the bar it's like how many of these things must they just stand there and watch (laughs) i think there are plenty of really frivolous and superficial and stupid things that i spend my money on and i could totally see someone else looking at that and being like absolutely not i would never spend that money so i want to be clear that i don't I don't have an inherent feeling of like there is a good and a bad thing to spend on, but I do have a feeling of like, I don't believe that the majority of these choices are as organic as a lot of the other consumer choices that we make in our lives, because there is a massively, um, there's a massive infrastructure and an industry that's built around engendering a level of expectation and need that far exceeds what the average person would want for themselves. And I think a really perfect representation of that that gets overlooked is how much waste is generated by weddings like the numbers and we'll like we can put some numbers up on screen i'll link i'll put them down in the description because we had them for another video but like the amount of that gets thrown out the next morning after a wedding like the flower arrangements the decor the candles the like enormous amounts of food like i've very rarely been to a wedding where there wasn't like 50 percent of the food that went uneaten because it was so much and i remember one time after a large wedding uh, my husband and i were talking to one of the cater waiters and we were like because there was i mean like a thousand pounds of leftover food from uh the like cocktail hour and we were like what do you guys do with all this food and they were like oh like we like stay after and we package it up and we donate it to like shelters and like stuff like that i was like we were like wow that's amazing and he was like no i'm with you we throw it out like he literally said yeah he was like no we literally throw it out and a lot of that has to do with american regulation where you can't donate a lot of food because of like liability issues But nonetheless, I was like, this is even as wasteful as Americans can be on average. This is a level of waste that I think most people would not be comfortable with. But that's not the part that you see, I suppose. Um, Right. And yeah, it's. I mean, I suppose that's like you could say that of any corporate dinner or like massive Mm -hmm. event it might be true of that as well. But it's just sort of grim when you think about it, isn't it? (laughs) Well, also again, like I, I'm less offended by it from a corporate event. Like I still don't like it from a corporate event. Don't get me wrong. I still think it's very wrong, but at least from a corporate event, I'm like, at least this, you know, multi-billion dollar conglomerate is like redistributing funds throughout the economy to like the smaller businesses who provided those, you know, place settings and, you know, the, the food and, and the gift bags and stuff like that, as opposed to in the case of weddings, where again, like, a lot of people are doing this on on debt. Yeah, I it's and it's always it's a question that I will never ask any of my friends. Um, I, it's, I don't think it's a question that you could ever ask anybody. But like, just looking back at the day that you had, you know, like, oh, was it worth it? Was it worth everything you spent? I don't regret. I, we only had thirty people at our wedding, so there's not as much to possibly regret, but there are definitely aspects of spending that I regret now, even at that small of a scale. And like, I, from the women I've spoken to, I would say that that probably 90 plus percent of people have at least one or two things from their wedding that they regret spending on. And and would those have been things that they sort of felt that they were expected to have, or that maybe they were pressured to sort of buy into from, you know, um, organizers? Like, so my, my thing is the number of, like meltdowns I've witnessed from friends over like um, seat covers, just sit in a seat. Why do you have to have a cover for a seat? And why do you have to spend hundreds of pounds on like a little bow for the back of your chair? Yeah, that I think is probably the vast majority of things that people regret. Like I think in general, you're never going to regret the food. You're never going to regret the like having the ability, like seeing people you love. I think the two big categories are like all of the extra stuff that doesn't necessarily enhance the experience. It just makes it look better, um, usually in pictures. Um, But then the other thing is I think a lot of people feel pressured to have celebrations that are much bigger than they can afford um, and also include a lot of people that they would not have independently invited. So that's another source of like massive uh, sort of drama that I've seen um, vicariously in friends' weddings. It's something happens when a couple get engaged where their parents lose their damn minds because they're like, oh, this suddenly becomes their day. And they feel that, 
And I, I, I think a lot of the time it's because they are making some you know, considerable financial contribution to the day. They feel that they get to dictate everything that happens and they really overstep. We're in a really weird in-between sociological point where like, I would say the majority of weddings that I've been to in my life, the couple was at least partially, if not entirely paying for it. Um, and yet the parents, I think, still had an outsized expectation of influence on the celebration. Um, where it's like, it's it we're sort of in an in-between era because like in a prior era where like your parents were paying for 100% of things and like you maybe had a dowry and like you were moving from your parents' house into another house, like, that party was for your parents, like explicitly. And it was like, you know, it was like a social event and there was just like a completely different like expectation for it. But now it's this weird in-between uncanny valley where it's like, it's supposed to be, oh, it's entirely about the couple and this represents them and it's their choice. And in many cases, they are, they are paying for a lot of it. And they're also getting married later in life. So they have more resources to pay for it. But yet there's still this simultaneous expectation that it should be made to please in many ways, everyone but the couple. And it's, yeah, the sort of the guilt that gets put on, you know, if they don't invite their second cousin, you know, thrice removed that they played with once when they were five. Um, and it, it becomes about sort of, uh, I, I, I can't remember what podcast I was listening to, but basically somebody was talking about their sister's wedding and the, the father of um, the, the host and the bride said, today is not about the couple and today is not about the family. Today is about show business. And it's basically you are showcasing your family to friends and extended family. And it's basically about putting on that sort of uh, tits and teeth front to the world. Um, and it's about impressing everyone. Well, and impressing everyone, I think, is the key thing. And I, it's weird to me that in 2022, we haven't really started to see like a tapering off effect with some of this stuff. Like I really would have expected that over the past several years, especially post pandemic, that people might start to be like, okay, let's, you know, be a bit more about what feels good to us in the moment and less about kind of the, the visible, you know, perception based aspect of this event. But I, and I think that is true for some people. Like I know a lot of people who were going to get married in 2020, the pandemic happened and then they just like opted. They were like, it was just me and a couple people. It was just us and a couple people in a park. And then we went for dinner at a restaurant. And I know people who did that and were very, very happy with that choice. But I also saw, you know, a lot of people who were like, now because I had to wait two years, like I am going to have the biggest celebration that has ever, that the state of West Virginia or wherever they are has ever seen. And sort of wanting to even more get their money's worth and make up for lost time. And I'm personally like really fascinated to know like what will be the thing that stops the madness a little bit? Because most people, when you speak to them individually, like they agree that like wedding culture is not sustainable, especially for the other people who have to pay to celebrate it. And do you think as well that there is a real hangover of I have spent a year thinking, living, breathing this event. And then when that event is over, like there must be such a huge like crash of like, well, now what do I spend all my time and energy on? Oh, I guess I'm married. <laughs> I think even without the pandemic in the equation, like I think a lot of people underestimate as someone who has been married um for the actual day itself like i really do think a lot of people underestimate the extent to which when it when you are the one getting married you like have no time to breathe like you can't even perceive what's going on around you like i know so many people who at their wedding didn't even get to taste their own food or taste all of it or like could barely remember what they had or like they only got to dance twice because they were like too busy having to greet hundreds of people and thank them for coming and i think even if there weren't the natural disappointment that comes after anything that you anticipate, and there is really good sociological data that anticipation actually brings as much joy as an event itself. Um, for the wedding in particular, like so many people don't even get to really enjoy it on the day. And, and that's been something that I've ex like witnessed firsthand at the number of weddings where it's like, um, 
and, and and this is why like going to a wedding alone where you don't know a lot of people is really difficult because it's like well I'm not going to be spending much quality time with the bride she's a celebrity today she's busy getting papped and you know sort of walking around the room and making sure that she gets to spend like two minutes saying hello to everyone who's arrived whereas the wedding I was at more recently um there was we were like a big group of us over two tables and we were basically like the naughty kids and it's like well we're not going to see the bride and groom because it's their day they're busy so we'll just like play amongst ourselves almost um because it's exactly that like that they, they have a million jobs to do thanking everybody um and just you know sort of being whisked away to do like an hour of pictures um you know uh, immediately you know sort of between ceremony and, and dinner um and it does sound like like in a way a lot of work oh it for sure is like i was a uh, in a bridal party this year and shout out to that friend because she was like the most no-nonsense person about like there were only three of us and she was like you don't have to prepare anything like you can wear anything you want as long as it's in this color and if you don't have something in this color i'll give you a stipend like could not have made it more like not cumbersome on the people who did it and like when we were out doing the photos like she was like very adamant about like all right let's get the group ones like really quick and then they move on so like they can get back to enjoying the wedding because I don't want to keep them the ceremony lasted 15 minutes like truly went out of her way to make sure that it wasn't something where we were either having to spend a ton of money or having to miss out on the experience um so completely hats off to her but I would say that is like an enormous anomaly in the experience and the average experience for being in someone else's wedding like I, I totally agree that like the ideal experience is like I don't know like a rich but not very close cousin is getting married and like you just get to go and vibe and like hang out with you know the your friends basically and like not have to worry about anything um the but dream. when you're what <laughs> you the dream um but when you're actually in a wedding like it, that is probably the one area where it has most wildly spiraled out of control in terms of like, it has now become very common in the US. I don't know how common it is in, in England, but like it's now become the norm that not only do you have to buy a specific dress or outfit in order to be in the wedding party, which can often be hundreds of dollars, it's now increasingly common for you to have to pay for, a to buy a specific pair of shoes to go with the specific dress. Um, so there are suits that I have owned only because of the honour of being included in a wedding party. Um, and that is, yeah, suits that I have purchased myself um, that I may or may not have ever worn again. Um, and I guess a suit is a more versatile than, you know, a dress which more often than not very much looks like a bridesmaid's dress <laughs> where, you know, the, the, in, the instances where you can reuse it are sort of limited. Um, but yeah, that's that's very much... Um, and, and I'm sure that my, my friends who've been bridesmaids, but yeah, I think maybe the, the shoes and, and everything, it's sort of just, it's escalated. Oh my God. My friend recently had to go, had to be a bridesmaid in a wedding where they all had to wear floor length, um, like coral colored column dresses. And they were all, they all had to be really tan too. And she, she like sent me a picture and she's like, we all literally look like a tray of salmon nigiri. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, this is the least flattering outfit we could have possibly all chosen. Like, independently, this is probably the worst option for each of us, respectively, just in terms of, like, color scheme, cut. Um, and it's also so unfortunate when you see the group of women who, like, have completely different skin tones and body types and, like, would not oh, yeah. ever look good in the same thing, who are all in this one awful dress. And I'm just like... In any other circumstance beside the way that we've normalized this for weddings, this would be considered like a, a terrible thing to do to your friends, especially to make them pay for it. it like if this if that was like a storyline, you know, to do with like a prom in a high school drama, that's bullying, like making you know, like all the girls wear the same outfits and then like it being really obvious, like who looks good and who doesn't. And not like one color does not look good. Like if you if you think like. I'm thinking like sort of how diverse my friendship group is. There's not one color that would look good on any of us except maybe like black. And even then, like when I, the, the girl that I was in her wedding who gave us a color, she was like, even in the color, it was green, but it could be any green. And even that was like, wow, like just the ability to wear something that looks good against your skin is like a privilege that not all bridesmaids are afforded. 
Yeah, and uh, and just sort of a feeling like you've been sort of trussed up a little bit and that you, you're dressed up in someone else's clothes and so you're not comfortable entirely and you sort of feel like you have to like stand and, and look a certain way because, you know, if you're in the wedding party, you're on show as well as the bride and groom. Weddings have always historically been, to some extent, a display of wealth. Like, they are a way to, like, show that you're prospering and, like, share the bounty of, you know, your money, despite perhaps not being able to afford it super sustainably or whatever. Like, that is not new, and I don't think that will ever totally go away. But I do think that, again, with the social media aspect and, like, the arms race of, like, everyone is doing this, so you have to do it, I think there's now become a perception that, like, you have to have all these things that involve other people spending money as a way for you to demonstrate how good of a friend they are or that they have real fealty towards you or that they like really prioritize you. And like, if you don't have all those things, it's like, if you don't have, I, I was at a wedding with 17 people in the briding, a bridal party, 17 people. Like the, the thought of that group chat alone stresses me out. 17 <laughs> Hey, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> 17 girlies. So there's a, a section in uh, the book, Love Another Scam, just to bring it back to that, uh, where on the hen weekend, which is a very expensive trip to Sicily, um, the bridesmaids are all, it's, it's suggested by the maid of honour that the bridesmaids all bring a thoughtful token of their affections for the bride, in addition to having already purchased you know, the wedding gifts and, and 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 flights and everything. And it's just sort of all of the additional accoutrement of like, oh yeah, we're your friends. So like, we have to put all this extra emotional energy as well as financial resources into just extra gifts and extra, like, because if we're not showing you with things that we're your friends, you won't know. Totally. I, and it becomes also like, I think, and it, it goes way beyond weddings. Like we talk a lot on TFD about how so much of the spending that we do in life revolves around needing to demonstrate that you are part of an in-group or that you care about someone or that, you know, you're not cheap essentially. Um, and how like, I mean, for me, a lot of what put, basically all that put me into credit card debt was those types of appearances and like social things that I couldn't afford um, because it just feels really, I mean, aside from the fact that you feel that you need to prove yourself um, and your loyalty and your friendship, it also is like you can't it's just not an option to say that something's not in my budget um, in a lot of these situations. But I do feel like it is uniquely in weddings that there is such a limited ability to express some version of, I love you and I want to spend time with you and I want to celebrate you, but I can't afford to do it in this way. Like, it's really rare that you will hear people have that conversation. Um. Yeah, and I, I feel like not going to someone's wedding is the, it's like such a faux pas. Like, it's like, okay, if you didn't come to my wedding, then we're not friends anymore. And so you kind of do have to like muster up from somewhere the, the means to get there. And we all kind of become, you know, Marge Simpson sewing that pink suit again <laughs> into something new. Probably the greatest episode of television in my lifetime. Um but you know, it's interesting you say that I had, so for our wedding, we covered the, we rented the villa for a week and covered all of the expenses once there, like the food, the beverage, the celebrations, all that stuff. But everyone was responsible to get themselves there. Um, so for the people that lived in France, cause it was in France, the people that lived in France, they were just vibing. They were like, cool, I'm going to drive half an hour and then get a free vacation for a week. Um, but for the people who lived in America, like, you know, the friends and family that were coming from America, that's a very, that's not a joke. Like that's an expensive thing to do. And, you know, especially in, it was summer, it was June. So, um, you know, for, I don't know, like my aunt and uncle, that was probably $2,500 just to get themselves there, which is very expensive. And I do think like it's, even though I talk about money all day, every day, like even I was like susceptible to not only feeling personally offended with someone maybe not being able to do something in the moment, but not even understanding to the extent, the extent to which I was putting such a, a burdensome ask on people. Um, yeah, and I... Uh... So I, I was in a similar scenario um, a couple of years ago where friends of mine uh, got married in Bulgaria because that's where the bride's from. And um, basically it meant that it was a smaller wedding and they, they'd sort of 
made peace with the fact that not everybody was going to be able to get time off work or get flights or whatever. Um, but I was officiating the wedding, so I couldn't not go. Right. Um, and basically I was like, okay, well, I guess this counts as my summer holiday this year because I'm not going to be able to afford. And, and they, and they were very, very generous and they, they put, they paid to put people up in a hotel while we were there. Um, but I was like, even the flights, it was just like, it was 2015. It was, um, you know, sort of, I was in a very different situation. Um, and it was a great, I mean, it was like a similar, it was like, I think four or five days, um, just at, in this beautiful seaside village leading up to the, the main event. And it was an amazing week. Um, but I remember just thinking at the time, like, what if I couldn't come? Like, what, what would happen then? And it's, yeah, um, I'm just sort of very grateful that I've always been able to make it work. And then the, the last couple of weddings I've been to, um, like, literally two weeks ago, uh, the very, very generously, the groom put us all up in the hotel and refused to let us pay for anything because he just wanted us to be there. Um, which does actually, I have a question for you. Because uh, he, he, he had us stay at the hotel where the event was because he wanted the people who were going to keep the party going to be there and not have to get a taxi at midnight to somewhere else. And basically, I feel like if you are going to a wedding and it's, you know, regardless of how expensive or inconvenient it's been, when you're at the wedding, you lean in and your job is to be a great guest. So I will chat up every auntie. I will not leave the dance floor until they force me to. And my question for you is like, are you an amazing wedding guest? It's the role I was born to play, Philip. It was the role <laughs> I was born to play. My husband and I both love to dance. We love going out dancing just like in our own spare time. And it's like one of the few remaining social occasions in this severely degraded era that we live in where we're never dancing like you know partner dancing and uh so we are we are on that dance floor from minute one to minute done um we are always dressed to kill um uh, but on theme never outshining anyone you gotta be respectful um and yeah we really do try to be very gregarious at weddings and love to i would say listen i i want to be honest and say there i've not loved every wedding i've been to primarily the weddings where i felt like because i have such a really hyper aware sensibility about money around these things like it makes me very uncomfortable when I've been to weddings that I know are really pushing it financially for people. And on top of that, I don't think the people themselves even necessarily wanted all of those things, that it's more, you know, the parents and the people around them and the planners and the vendors and all of that stuff. And it gets it gets out of control and you can't rein it in. And those weddings I have a I have a hard time really enjoying myself at because I, you know, feel honestly a little bit bitter at the whole at the whole setup. Um, but at the same time, I, I think 90% of weddings that we've been to that are, you know, really authentic and within the means of the couple and representative of their taste and interests, like, I love a wedding. I love a good wedding. I just hate the wedding industrial complex. I think that's basically exactly where I fall on it as well. Um, I, I, I love a wedding I, because it's like you get to dress up and there's music and there's food and you're celebrating a happy occasion and, and on the face of it like what could be better um and it is just sort of all the bullshit that you have to contend with just to get to that point which is difficult and that's kind of where the um the real impetus for the book comes from um i have in a, a note at the end of the book um i do just like name check every uh, person whose wedding i've been in and just said like this isn't about you i love you your wedding was great <laughs> i know truly and i feel like um like even in these comments that I make now, I, I feel like a twinge of guilt because I, I, I can't stress enough that when these things have happened, they have not been a reflection on the bride or groom. I think in most cases, they're a reflection on the industry that's preying upon people and by the people around them. Um, although one thing where I'm like, we got to stop the madness, like for real, is with the the like constant, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The arms race again of the wedding registry. This is my biggest pet peeve about weddings. Now, I am not opposed to a registry. I think they can be very functional. And we also have to think back to the purpose that they served when people were typically getting married at a much younger age where they were coming from their parents' homes or a very small, like an efficiency bachelor apartment. They were moving into their first home. They needed a bunch of stuff. They didn't have a whisk. They didn't have a vacuum cleaner, whatever, whatever. 
Now, even leaving aside the fact that a lot of people now who are getting married are getting married well into their adult life where they have all of these things, they have a very nice home, well-appointed, in many cases they already own their own home, um, they have you know what they need, I really feel like, I feel strongly that like A, I should not be frequently going on wedding registries and having the options be like $100 plus items. Like luckily I'm privileged enough to be in a place where like I can afford to get you like a set of Le Creuset, like, you know, little dishes or whatever, but a lot of people can't and that's very onerous to put on people. But more than that, I feel like if a wedding, like if a wedding is a destination wedding to any like extent, like if people are having to fly themselves out there, if they're having to put themselves up in a hotel, like if they're having to spend all of this, I'm sorry, I know this is maybe gonna get me in trouble again, but their presence is the gift. I really don't feel like it's fair to then ask them to buy you another thing. Um, so I think more, I, I can't speak obviously for the entire UK, but most weddings that I have been to is very much the same where, you know, couples have lived together for years before getting married. They have all of the crockery that they need. Um, and so a lot of the time they'll be, you know, on the invitation, your presence is a present, but if you, would like to uh, give us a gift then please you know money towards the the honeymoon or something like that and basically it's uh, or more often like a couple of the recent ones I've been to it's been here is a charity that we both feel very passionately about if you'd like to make a donation in our name and I think that's just like a, a classier way of doing it uh, because there have been times when it's like yeah I my presence is the present like all the all the spare money I have has gone into getting me here and it better be an open bar because I have zero dollars in my account now. Oh, that's a whole other thing that people got mad at me about. Um, Cause I said that having a cash bar at a wedding was really not cool. And they were like, Oh, well, what the f like some people don't want to have to pay for, you know, drinks at their wedding. And I'm like, okay, fine. But you realize that you've now created essentially a cast system at your own wedding where like only certain people can even afford to have a drink if they want one. Would you throw a house party and not get some wine in? Like, or even like if you want to have a dry wedding you should have a dry wedding but like there shouldn't I, I personally believe that if you're throwing a celebration whatever is on offer should be on offer to everyone regardless of your income like even if you're having like take alcohol out of the equation let's say you had like a cash buffet like where like only certain people could afford to like like only if you're of a, a certain socioeconomic status can you afford to get the mac and cheese like what <laughs> like that would not be acceptable in any other capacity and I think it's totally, and that's one thing that I think gets often brought up in this conversation is like, you know, well, the couple can't necessarily afford X or Y. And I think that's totally fine and they shouldn't opt into those things. But I don't think it's really fair to then pass that cost directly off onto people. And when people will talk about buying a gift is like, oh, you're supposed to like buy something that's the value of your plate of dinner. I think that's often a rule of thumb in the US. I've never heard that before. It's a big thing in the US. They're like, you sh it should be like a hundred bucks or like, because that's probably what it costs to like, you know, feed you and, you know, put you up for the evening, whatever. Interesting. Which to me, I'm like, okay, if hundred dollars is the test and you had to take any form of transport to get there and are putting yourself up in a hotel, you are way, it's already way in your favor in terms of the amount of money being spent. But also like this entire concept of a celebration as just like an endless loop of people owing each other money is just mind boggling to me. Uh, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. I think, you know, if you if you're if you're putting money into um, seat covers, you can afford to put, you know, some cash behind the bar. And if you can't, don't put money into seat covers. Like, I don't understand why this is even like a and I will say, like, I gift giving is my love language. I have given some fabulous gifts over the years. I love giving gifts. But part of what's so fabulous about giving gifts is like having them be meaningful and having them be something that like you put thought into and it's a decision that you're making you're not picking something super expensive off a list that was like prescribed to you like totally. I, I i obviously we're recording this you know going into december now i love buying um a lot of the time people will just get books from me because i feel like picking a book that i know someone will love is a genuine talent i have um and also, like, when I was broke, that was, like, a really, like, cheap way of giving gifts. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just, I love finding that perfect thing where it's like, oh, this is going to be perfect for this person because I know them well. And it's, you know, it, it's showing that you know somebody. Whereas, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, so much of what goes into every wedding is so generic that 
there's nothing to say oh yeah I'm doing this because I know you so well it's sort of like I'm showing up I you might as well just like write a check a hundred percent and also I have a piece of advice for the most fabulous wedding gift that has always been a 10 out of 10 hit when I've done it and multiple people have been like this was our favorite gift so to your earlier point about how much of a letdown it can be after your wedding is over one thing that my husband and I like to do is get two tickets or sometimes we'll even take the people if we want to get in on it ourselves which we sometimes do depending on the situation um to some really fabulous thing three to six months after the wedding so it's been like we did sleep no more which is this really fun theater activity in new york city we've taken people to a really spectacular dinner um we've done uh we've given people tickets to plays like all kinds of stuff, but like give them something really fun and fabulous on their calendar to look forward to that they can dress up for again and celebrate, you know, their wedding again and all of that stuff. And it's always been a huge hit. That is such a good idea. And I am absolutely going to steal that. You're going to be the hit, let me tell you. Um, So we have to go soon, but this has been such a fun conversation. Um, I just love sitting around about the wedding industrial complex, despite the wedding uh, planners who may come for me because of it. Um, just to like end this on a funny note, like what is the like funniest or craziest or whatever thing that's happened at a wedding for you? Oh, oh goodness. Um, okay. So my best, best friend who I've known since I was 19, um, staunch feminist. And she, her, what her view on her wedding was, I'm getting married. I want to have a nice celebration, but getting married isn't an achievement. She was like retraining in her career at this, like that same year. And she's like, this is an achievement. Like marrying a man is not an achievement and literally anyone can do it. Um, and so she was keeping her name and, and, and still has. And I just remember I, I was one of the groomsmen because I also happened to go to school with the groom. Um, and it was when they the, the vicar said, I now pronounce you Mr. and Mrs. And he basically gave her the groom's name and the look on her face. She just turned to the church and was like, <laughs> we all just burst out laughing. It was the funniest thing because everyone in that room knew her so well. They were like, oh, somebody is going to pay for that. Like oh it was God. just hilarious. It's like, oh, she's starting her marriage. Absolutely fuming. Um, I love that. And it was, and it's just, it's just become a really like a, a running joke that it's like, yeah, that was the perfect note. Like, of course she was going to end, the staunch feminist was going to enter marriage angry about it. <laughs> That's perfect. I, for the record, haven't changed my last name because I don't even use my last name in my professional life. I use my middle name and I'm really lazy and it's really cumbersome to change. Um, I might change oh, my mum has been married three times and apparently it's very expensive to change your name. So she just kept the second ones for a long time until she got married again. Elizabeth Taylor vibes. Um, <laughs> I have to share the funniest thing that happened. It didn't happen to me at the wedding, but it's the funniest thing that's ever happened at a wedding I've been at. And to this day, Mark and I are still like, damn, that wedding was luxe. Like it was one of the perfect setups where we didn't know the couple very well. It was like an old colleague of mine. And so like me and another friend that worked with her, like we were very much like the, like, what are we even doing here? Kind of level of like, um, you know, attendee, but it was probably one of the top three most luxurious weddings I've ever been to. Like it was all top shelf, everything like, you know, four star food, like the most beautiful surroundings. And on top of that, they had a rehearsal dinner for the full like 200 and however many people who were at the wedding the night before where they completely rented out the aquarium in the city that this wedding was in. And like, I didn't even know you could have like a dinner party at an aquarium, but you can. And so everyone, and like, it's all just like, you know, top shelf liquor and like chocolate fountains and like the craziest. And like, so everyone's like, buzz like just getting to wander around the aquarium at night like fully like having free reign of the place um which was obviously really fun and this wasn't even the wedding itself like who even knows what that whole wedding cost like not my problem but <laughs> anyway so we're in this one room and um it's like where a lot of the like so there's like it's an aquarium where there's like petting tanks um Oh, yeah. which is like not a great thing to have at an aquarium probably, but especially not when there's like drunk sorority sisters at your, at your aquarium. So basically long story short, one of the, uh, I don't know if she was in the bridal party, but she was definitely one of the bride's friends fell into the stingray tank. Um, which, you know, obviously these are like not poisonous stingrays, but that is how Steve Irwin died rip. But also it was just like, I will never forget looking over and like all these like aquarium employees running over like complete 
chaos and this girl just like in the stingray tank like flopping around and I'm like they are fully never allowing people to drink alcohol in this aquarium ever again that is amazing I I, I will say as well um because it took me a week to get over my most recent wedding there is a special kind of drunk that people only get at weddings and I live for it and it's so fun seeing like you'll often see just a whole new side to somebody that you thought you knew really well Oh, it's yeah. just like a, 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 a new extra little layer of chaos gets unlocked. And and yeah, you have you have people like, oh, like, you know, the stereotype of like the best man hooking up with one of the bridesmaids. And it's just like everybody, all their inhibitions are gone. It's like a midsummer night's dream. It's It's fantastic. I love it. I once had a conversation with a relative at a wedding that was like so unexpectedly joyous and affirming that like it was, we may as well have been like tripping mushrooms or something at that wedding because we were both just like, but it was like that feeling of like, you've had like a little champagne and like everyone looks beautiful and the like the sun is setting and we were just like, you're so important to me, blah, 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 blah. And it was like, ah, what a wonderful thing. It's, and that's it. Like at the end of the day, these are really joyful occasions. And um, I will, yeah, I, I hope after this, people keep inviting me to their weddings because I really do love them. Well, you certainly wrote so wonderfully about them. Please remind everyone where they can get the novel that started this all, Love and Other Scams. Uh, yeah, so Love and Other Scams uh, comes out in the US on the 7th of March uh, with Putnam at Penguin Random House. It is available for pre-order on Amazon and uh, wherever else you you buy your books. Well, thank you so much for being here, Philip, and thank you guys for tuning in, and I will see you next week on an all-new episode of The Financial Confessions. Bye. Bye.